0: Well, uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 63, Psalm 63. If you're joining us online or maybe here for the first time, you are um, joining us in the midst of a series in the book of Psalms. And we've been uh, reading through the Book of Psalms for the whole summer. We're, we're going through a reading plan. Hopefully, you've been able to follow along with us. We're reading all 150 Psalms within the course of the summer, and uh, broken down, it's only about five minutes of reading. And if you haven't joined us in the reading plan, I encourage you to jump in or wherever you're at. Don't worry about catching up to this point, uh, but download the reading plan on our website, or we can even print off a copy for you here and uh, just begin to read the word uh, this summer because I believe the Psalms were meant to saturate our hearts and our minds and refresh us. The Psalms are an ancient hymn book that's over 3,000 years old and it was set to music uh, for the purpose of a memory and for the purpose of, of entering our hearts and our minds. And so I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to this Psalm today. We're in Psalm 63 and the title of my message is Come Closer. Come Closer, you know, we serve a God who from the very beginning of time has invited humanity to come closer. In the beginning, when he created Adam and Eve, we see that God walked in the cool of the morning and the cool of the day with Adam. He had this close, intimate relationship. And what happened? Sin separated mankind from God's presence because sin can't be in the presence of a most holy God. But God has continually, even before Jesus showed up on the scene, he makes a way for his people to come close. And we see in the book of Exodus, when God invites Israel, there's this, Story where Israel has just left Egypt and they're coming to Mount Sinai, and God invites all of His people to come up to the mountain and come close to Him, come spend time in His presence. But the Israelites they look at the top of the mountain and they see they they hear the thunder and they see the smoke and they become terrified and they tell Moses, "If we get close to God, He's going to destroy us because we're sinners." And so they they send Moses ahead of them and say, "You go to the top of the mountain and you." meet with God and tell us what he said. That wasn't God's heart from the beginning. God's plan was for all the people to come to him to the top of the mountain. But because humanity, because the Israelites refused, God sent down the law. And and as we're gonna read in this Psalm and as we're gonna discover by reading a little bit of 2 Samuel. God creates a way for man to still meet with him in the form of the tabernacle or the temple. It's a meeting place for mankind to come and have a a relationship with God and of course we know that as Jesus enters the scene what happens? Jesus dies on the cross and there's a portion of scripture where where it says that the veil was torn and we sing about that in in songs that we sing that the moment that Jesus died the veil was torn. What does that even mean? Well in the temple there there was a curtain that separated the most holy place from all the other sacred places in the temple and only the high priest could enter into the most holy place so it was in it was an exclusive place for those who had sanctified themselves and set themselves apart to enter the holy of holies and when Jesus died it says that the veil was torn and now everyone had access to the most holy place Everyone had access to the Holy of Holies and could have a relationship with God. From the very beginning of time, God has been calling out to his people, come closer, come close, get into my presence, spend time with me. We have an open invitation to spend time in the presence of God, but what do we do oftentimes? We create excuses, don't we? Oh, I'm really busy, I gotta get my kids this way, or or, I'd rather do this, I'd rather watch TV at night, and God is whispering, he's saying, come close, spend time with me, get into my presence, and we often tune out the voice of the Lord, but this morning, I believe that God wants to re-extend this invitation to to you, church. He wants to re-extend the invitation to you to come close. Hop into my presence. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you've walked away. Come close. Get into my presence. Before we read Psalm 63, let me give you the background of this psalm. What is happening? We know that 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 the, the heading of Psalm 63, it says, A Psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. Now, this is not the desert experience where he is, uh, he's running away from Saul and Saul's trying to kill him. This, um, the, the backdrop of Psalm 63 takes place in 2 Samuel 15. And um, David's son, Absalom is secretly going behind David's back and he's winning people over to follow him himself. And his plan is to take over his father's throne. Well, a messenger comes to David in 2 Samuel 15 and says, the hearts of Israel are with Absalom. And he warns David that your son is trying to take over your throne. So David flees into the wilderness again, not running away from Saul, but this time running away from his son. And he takes his family with him into the wilderness and he takes with him the Ark of the Covenant. It comes with David into the wilderness and with his family. Now the Ark of the Covenant is, in simplified terms, it was essentially a big golden box. And in the book of Exodus, God gives Moses specific instructions uh, for how to build the Ark of the Covenant. And it's this big golden box but the purpose of the Ark was for God's presence to be housed within the Ark of the Covenant. And God's intention for the Ark was so that his presence could dwell among his people. He's making a way to get close to his people. So he has Moses build this Ark of the Covenant and ever since then, Uh, Israel would carry the Ark of the Covenant with them wherever they went as a representation, or it it was God's manifest presence in the Ark of the Covenant. So God's manifest presence would travel with them wherever they went. And they also would take with them this portable tent, and it was called the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was this meeting place for the Ark of the Covenant to be housed in. Israel was supposed to keep the Ark of the Covenant within this tabernacle. And the tabernacle was going to provide a place for God to meet with his people. So they can come close. And there was steps, you know, in order to go through the tabernacle. In fact, uh, in the month of um, September, we're going to be doing a four-week series that's all about worship. And I'm gonna be talking a little bit about the tabernacle and these steps that God uh, had created for men, for men to prepare their hearts to meet with God, for men and women to prepare their hearts to be in the presence of God. And so the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle were supposed to go with Israel wherever they went and provide a meeting place, a place where God could get close to his people. But then there is this moment in 2 Samuel 15 Verse 23 through 25, we're going to get it up on the screen. And David goes into the wilderness with with the ark, but then he does something strange. He instructs the priest to take the ark back to Jerusalem. He says, Take the ark back to Jerusalem. And this is what he says in 2 Samuel 15, verse 23. The whole countryside wept aloud as all the people passed by. The king also crossed the Kidron Valley, and all the people moved on toward the wilderness. Zadok was there too, and all the Levites who were with him were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. They set down the Ark of God, and Abithyar offered sacrifices until all the people had finished leaving the city. Then the king said to Zadok, Take the Ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see his dwelling place again. But if he says, I'm not pleased with you, then I'm ready. Let him do to me whatever, whatever seems good to him. David had this really unique relationship with the ark and with the presence of God. He had a very intimate relationship with the presence of God. In fact, at one point in 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, David is experiencing a time of peace, and his kingdom is flourishing, and he's prospering, and he, he's, he's in his palace made of cedar, and he looks out his window, and he sees that the ark of God is still in a tent, And he looks at his prophet Nathan and he says, he's disturbed by the fact that he lives in this palace of cedar while the presence of God resides in a tent. And so he speaks out to the prophet Nathan and says, how come I live in this house of cedar and God still resides in a tent? I desire to build a glorious temple for the presence of God. I want to build this house for, for the presence of God. And Nathan gives his approval. He nods at it and says, yeah, David, do what's in your heart. Pursue this. But then the Lord speaks to Nathan. And the Lord tells Nathan that because David's reign involved too much bloodshed, David is not the one who's supposed to build the temple. Rather, his son Solomon is the one who's going to be set up and appointed to build the house of God, the temple of God, where the ark would reside. But what does David do? After he hears these words from Nathan, Nathan tells him, no, 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 you're not supposed to build the temple. Your son Solomon's going to build the temple. David doesn't say, well all right, well, I'll just wait around. You know, I'll just let Solomon take care of it, and I'll, I'll continue doing my thing. No, what David does next is, is a testament to how much he loved the presence of God. David begins to gather all the materials and all the resources and all the, all the work, all the craftsmen, and he brings them together, and he sets everything up for his son so that when the time came for his son Solomon to build the temple, he would have everything he needed. So David goes out and he collects all these resources because he loves God's presence so much. He loves the Lord so much. He wants to reside in his presence. He doesn't want God to be in this this tent anymore. Rather, he wants him to reside in a temple. Now, here's, here's the New Testament truth, church. The Bible says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that you are the house of God. No longer does God's presence reside in a tent or a temple or a tabernacle. Now the presence of God lives inside every single one of the followers of Jesus. And so we don't need a physical meeting place now to go meet with God. Rather, the Lord lives inside of you, and you are the meeting place. In fact, think of it this way. Everywhere you walk, you become a meeting place for other people to encounter God. You are the temple. You are the house of God. So when you walk from place to place, when you go to your workplaces, when you go to the store, when you, anywhere you go, when you go visit family over the holidays, you are the meeting place where people can come to meet with God. You are the house of the Lord. This is the backdrop for Psalm 63. David sends the Ark of the Covenant. He sends the presence of God away, and he's heartbroken over it. He's thirsty for it. He longs for the presence of God. And we re, as we read Psalm 63, you'll notice that he, he's talking about this intimate relationship that he has with the presence of God. Here we go. Psalm 63. We're going to read the whole thing. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. Some of your translation says my soul longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. Some translations say I lie awake at night. I think... Of you through the watches of the night, because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. David's words remind me of a young couple in love that just can't they just he can't stand being apart from God's presence. I remember a time where my wife Christina went to California for 4 weeks to do this school of worship and while she was gone, you can imagine the sappy phone conversations that we would have that would make me roll my eyes to this day. But you know when you're in love, when you're infatuated with someone, just them being away is like, "Oh baby, I just can't wait till you're back. Oh, smoochy boo. You're just so wonderful." And, and, oh, I just, I can't wait till you're back. I miss you too. I miss you too. You've been gone for like two days, right? Yeah, this is what David's words remind me of. It's this, this desire to be in the presence of God. You know, you know the saying, the absence makes the heart grow fonder. And I think David is once again realizing the joy of being in God's presence. The joy of being with God. The joy of a daily relationship with him. And I love That he does not allow his desert experience to dictate his worship to the Lord. He is determined to worship in every circumstance. In in Psalm 63, it says that he he praises with his lips, his mouth praises God, that he lifts up his hands. Some of you might wonder why we lift up our hands in church. It's, it's, It's a form of praise. It's an act of surrender to the Lord, saying that, God, you have everything. I surrender to you. Regardless of David's desert experience, he chooses to praise God and all he can think about is being in the presence of God once again. David, I believe, had confidence in these three promises. And, you know, David's, David's journey with the presence of God, I'm sure it didn't, it didn't begin when he became king. It began long before that because we know that in the Bible, it tells us that David was a shepherd before he came, became king. And he would be spending times in the field, tending his sheep and playing his harp and worshiping with the Lord. How do you think David got the courage when all of Israel is cowering in fear of the Philistines? David rises up and says, Who are these people that they talk about my God in this way? What are they doing? How come nobody is acting out? How come nobody is doing anything? We serve a God who's far greater than any army. Where do you think David got that confidence? Where do you think he got that courage and that faith? It was in the presence of God when he was alone in the field playing his harp, worshiping the Lord. He had confidence in these promises. I believe that these are promises that are for you today right now church and the first thing is this when God is my desire he meets all of my needs when God is my desire he meets all of my needs David eagerly desires God he thirsts he aches to be in the presence of God and if if you're like me you have many desires don't you some of them are good desires some of them are bad desires I have some good desires I desire to be a good husband I desire to be the best father, the best pastor I can be. Those are good desires, but some of us have unhealthy desires. I also desire fame and recognition. I desire to be comfortable. I don't want God to ask me to do something that's going to move me out of my comfort zone. I enjoy the comforts of life i enjoy predictability and knowing what's coming next a desire of mine and maybe you have this desire too is to be comfortable we have lots of different desires but did you know that if all of your desires were met you would still be unhappy and discontent unless god his presence was your ultimate desire you would still be discontent. If you were given all the money you could ever want, if you, were, if you had all the fame, recognition, relationship, health that you could ever want, all of your children love you, all of your family loves you, all, your dreams are coming true. If all of your desires were met, you would still be unhappy because you were made in the image of God. There's a peace in you that longs to be with God. He is your creator and his creation longs to be with their creator. If you did not have a those who do not have a relationship with God, they feel this hole in their heart. They feel this emptiness. There's, this, there's more out there. I desire to be in the presence of God. I love what Jesus says in Matthew 5 6. He said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those whose desire is righteousness is the things of God. Their needs will be met; they will be filled. He also says in Matthew six thirty three, "Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you." Jesus is talking about anxiety in Matthew chapter six. He's talking about don't be anxious about about anything. You know that uh, your needs will be met, and, you know God cares for the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, and so He cares over you. Seek first his kingdom, make God your one desire, thirst for his presence, hunger for his presence, and all of your needs will be met. He says, uh, in verse one, he says, you are my God. Oh God, you are my God. He doesn't say, God, you are the God, or God, you are a great God, God, you are a wonderful God, you're a powerful God. He says, God, you are my God. He makes it personal. Has, it, has anybody ever talked to God in that way before? I, if I'm honest, I, I don't often talk to God like that before where I say, God, you are mine. I belong to you and you belong to me because I, you know, I don't think I've ever prayed like that because I know that I'm not the only person with a relationship with God. But, but I think that God is inviting me and he's inviting you to behave and interact with the Lord as if you're his favorite person turn to the person next to you and say, I'm his favorite person. And then you can say, no, I'm his favorite person. (laughs) Just kidding. Here, I, I think some of you need to hear this today. I think there's some people in the room that need to hear this today. God not only loves you, but he likes you. He enjoys you. He delights in you. All of your personality quirks your so called flaws, the things that you wish you could change about yourself or the way that you look or the way that you act, God made it just like that. He delights in you. If you were the only one on earth that needed a relationship with God, He still would have died on the cross. Jesus still would have gone to the cross if you were the only person that needed Him. That's how much He loves you. You're His favorite person. And David makes it personal. He says, You're my God, you're mine. I belong to you and you belong to me. He also says, My soul thirsts for you. The Hebrew word for soul is nefesh. Say nefesh. It describes the seat of your appetites, the seat of all your emotions and your passions. It's it's your will, it's your desires. It's your mind, it, it, it's what you devote your character to. It describes, it's an all-encompassing words that re, it describes your whole existence. David is saying that my whole existence thirsts for you. Everything in David yearns for the presence of God. Think about the sensation of being extremely thirsty. Think about a time where you were extremely thirsty. I can remember the first year that I ever went hunting. I was with a friend, and we were on top of the gorge of the Deschutes River, just like south or, you know, southwest, I think, of the Dalles, southeast of the Dalles. I can't remember. It was a, it was a sunny, 75-degree October day, and his father owns 5,000 acres of, of wheat fields. So we're hunting on, on his father's property, and we're not seeing anything. And so... We decide, he, he says, you know, if we hike down the gorge to, uh, you know, to the river, there's probably going to be some deer down there. And, and we're not thinking about the hike back up, right? We just want to get a deer. We're not thinking about if we actually get a deer, we're going to have to hike it back up this thing. So we decide, we're, and we're wearing full winter clothing. I mean, we, that morning when we woke up, it was cold. So we're wearing winter boots, winter jackets. I got a rifle slung around my shoulders. I'm carrying a small backpack, and I've got about half of a water bottle full of water. And so we make the descent down into the gorge and we get to the river and we didn't see anything, by the way. We get down there. We spent about three or four hours down there. We had lunch and we used up all of our water. And now it's time to make the hike back up. And so we begin this, this, steep, this steep ascent back up the hill to the top of the gorge from the, down below in the Deschutes River. And we get about halfway and we just collapse under some sagebrush. And we looked at each other and we said... And we weren't joking, I think it might be time to call search and rescue and have them come get us. We were exhausted, had no water, we were so thirsty that we we contemplated calling search and rescue. In fact, we took out our phones, but we didn't have any service. So we did not call search and rescue because we couldn't contact anybody. So there was only one way to go, we just had to go up. And we continued the hike up. And once I got to the top, all I could think about, there was a truck waiting for us. And I was like, do you have any water in this truck? I'll drink anything. Just give me some. All I could think about was just getting some water. Nothing else mattered. I just thirsted. I longed. Everything in me just wanted a glass of water. David is describing this relationship with God where all he wants, nothing else matters. He's being chased out of his kingdom by his son. He's in the wilderness, but nothing else matters but the presence of God. He just sent it back away to Jerusalem, and he's hoping that one day God finds favor and calls him back into his presence, but that's all he can think about. He's consumed. He's obsessed with the presence of God. God's presence is the only thing that truly satisfies a dry and thirsty soul, and we attempt to satisfy that thirst with other things, don't we? We find ways to numb, find ways to cope, when things are going wrong, our tendency, our, our first reaction sometimes isn't, go to, isn't to go to the presence of God, but it's to just sit in front of the TV and just forget about everything. Or maybe we like to go shopping. We get on Amazon, and we're like, what can I buy that's going to make me feel better? I've done this before, church. I know what, I know what I'm talking about. We find ways to cope, but God's presence is the only thing that satisfies you when you're dry, when you're thirsty. We find ways to number cope because God, coming to God means that we have to address a real issue, doesn't it? We have to humble ourselves I and mean, we've got to talk about this with God. He's got to fix something. In verse 4, David says this He says, I will bless you. David worships God in the wilderness by singing songs and lifting up his hands to God. And his desire is to bless the heart of God. But that, doesn't this kind of seem backwards? I mean, David's in the wilderness. He's running for his life. Doesn't he need a blessing from God? Doesn't he need God to speak to him? David is hiding in the desert. Why is he praising right now? Well, you know, the difference between David and, his, and the former king of Israel, the difference between David and Saul, was that David was consumed with ministering to God's heart, while Saul was consumed with ministering to the hearts of his people. His desire was to minister to his, his, his kingdom, the people in his kingdom, to please them. And so when God told him to, to destroy all the gold, you know, to, to take out all the cattle and the gold after they won a victory, and his people are saying, oh, we could use that. Saul, we could keep that. And he's like, well, okay, yeah, you can keep that. He wanted to please his people, but David was concerned about ministering to the heart of God and pleasing God's heart. He says, I will bless you. I think the majority of the Western church has missed something important about worship. We think that worship is an opportunity for God to minister to our hearts and fill us up when we're empty. And, or maybe, maybe it's an opportunity for the pastor or for the prayer team or the worship team to minister to your hearts. That's why we come to church is because I just need to be filled up. I just need to be ministered to. Now there's an aspect of that that's true. And God's good enough that, that when you minister to God's heart, he ministers to you. But that's not the point of worship. That's not the point of worship. See, when the Bible talks about worship, it means to minister to God. That's why when God established the priesthood in the Old Testament, the priests in the tabernacle, the tribe of Levi, their their ministry, their roles were to minister to God's heart. Not to minister to the people on God's behalf, No, the the priests were meant to minister to God. And the Bible says that you are priests, that you're a royal priesthood. We are a kingdom. We are a church of priests. And our role is to minister to the heart of God first and foremost. David understood that worship in the desert was an opportunity to minister to God, to bless God's heart. And yes, God is so good that when we minister to his heart, he ministers to us. He takes care of our needs because he's a loving God. But we never enter into worship for the purpose of receiving something. Rather, it stems from a desire to show God our love for him, how much we care for his his word, and and we, we love him. We love his presence because he died for us. And we say, thank you. I will bless you. The second promise that David had confidence in is, He knew that when God is my delight, he blesses my future. When God is my delight, he blesses my future. God promised David a grand future. He told David at one point, his descendants would sit on the throne of Israel forever. But now one of David's sons is trying to take his life and trying to kick him off of his throne and committing evil acts against God. But David he delighted in God and trusted that God would still use his future. God would still use his life and bless his future. Psalm 1-3, we talked about this at the beginning of June. It says, The one who delights in the law of the Lord is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaves does not wither. And whatever they do, prospers now i know that psalm says that it's the law of the lord whoever delights in the law of the lord well john chapter one says that jesus was the word that became flesh that he is the word of god incarnate and so to delight in the law of the lord to delight in the word of god is to delight in jesus himself So when we delight in his word, when we meditate on the word of God, we are delighting in God himself. And the Bible says that when we delight in the law of the Lord, when we delight in Jesus, everything we do prospers. When you delight in the Lord, he blesses your future. David says, I meditate on you. In the night. He's lying awake in bed thinking at, at, at night about God's presence. He's obsessed with God's presence. You might even say that David is addicted to God's presence. I have a very addictive personality. As you get to know me, my hobbies and interests, they fluctuate because I get really into something for a short period of time, and then once I lose interest or I find out that somebody is better at it than I am, I move to the next thing. What, what's something that I can be good at that nobody else is really good at? And so when I was younger, it was video games. I would lie awake thinking about video games. I couldn't wait to get up the next morning and play some more video games. I was obsessed with video games. And then as I grew up and video games, you know, became less and less interesting, I got into playing guitar. And I would obsess over, you know, what kind of equipment I could buy. What are the newest pedals and what kind of electric guitar and amp do I want to get? And I would, i just think about just expanding my collection of guitar stuff. And then, and then I would just kind of, the interest would fade. And then I'd move to golf. Oh, I love golf and I, we've been golfing a lot right right now, and so I just bought a new driver, and, and I, I obsessive. I, I, lay, I, I lay awake in bed. I'm on my phone watching professional golfers swing how, and watching how they swing and, and, and collecting tips. I'm obsessing over golf right now, and then I, I got a membership at the sportsman club, and I like to shoot, and so I'll, I'll begin to shoot, and I just move from interest to interest, from hobby to hobby, and I lie awake at night thinking... When's the next time I can do this? When's the next time I could go there? I could be on the golf course and I can, I can, I can get a better score. I obsess over it. Imagine being so addicted to God's present, presence that it's like a child trying to fall asleep on Christmas Eve. Like, oh, do I have to go to bed? I know, but if I go, this is my son Gideon. My, if we tell my son, hey, when you wake up from nap, we're going to the lake we're going to go to the lake after you wake up from your nap. He'll be go. He'll say, "Okay, I'm tired. Good night. I'm going to bed." Cuz he wants to speed up the process, right? And he wants to get to the lake as soon as he can, and if it means going to bed sooner to get to the lake, he will do it. Imagine being so addicted to God's presence that you lay awake at night thinking about the next morning. In the cool of the day, getting your cup of coffee and opening up the word and allowing him to speak to you. Now, those of you with young children, that's not a reality right now. That's just, you know what I'm talking about, walls, right? Like, it's just not a reality. Like, my, my kids, they, I just, just hardly any time. But, I, but I, 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 there has been moments in my life where I just think, I can't wait to get up tomorrow and read some more of the Word, spend time in the presence of God. I believe that we're supposed to long for that. We're supposed to thirst for that. And I think people don't long for that because they don't know how to do it. Or they think that there's a right way. They put conditions on themselves. And I think God wants to invite you into a relationship with him that is free from all expectation. That's free from conditions. And he wants you to find a way, find a pattern that works for you. Find a time of day that works for you so you can delight in the Lord. And you can look forward to those times with him. David also says this, My soul follows close behind you. My kids, they think it's fun to walk behind me when I'm mowing the lawn. They'll get in the fresh, freshly mowed strip of grass and they'll they'll walk right behind me until I turn around and then they pretend like the mower is gonna eat them and they run away. And I I think about when you're walking in the snow with somebody, you're walking behind them, and it's deep snow, and what do you do? You put your foot in their tracks, right? Because it's just easier. Instead of falling into six inches of snow yourself, you put your feet where they go. When you follow close behind God, you're watching his every move. You put your step where he steps. You know his heart. You know what he's thinking because his word says that we have the mind of God. First Corinthians, I think it's first Corinthians. Don't quote me on that. I might be wrong. It says, who knows the mind of God? And then it goes on to say, we do because he's given us his spirit. And so when you spend time in the presence of God, you begin to understand what he desires, what he wants for your life, how he thinks about righteousness and holiness and what he thinks about things and aspects in your life. And so you begin to put your feet where he's stepping and you begin to think just like him and you, you follow close behind him. David is describing staying close to God, watching his every move. The last promise that I believe David have, had confidence in, this promise that God wants you to have confidence is, confidence and is when God is my defense he provides inner peace when God is my defense he provides safety security peace and the last few verses of this chapter David is talking about people that are seeking his life that want to come after him he's running for his life from his son and And notice, just like we talked about it, even though he's in the wilderness hiding from murder, all he can think about is being in God's presence. So much of the Psalms, if you've been reading along with us in the plan, you might have noticed this. It talks about God's presence as a hiding place or a refuge or a shelter or a shield. David understood that he was protected in the presence of God, that when God is your defense, you can live in peace. That's why Israel carried the Ark of the Covenant wherever they went. Because wherever, wherever Israel went with the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, they were victorious. They carried the presence of God with them wherever they went because he was their defense. He was their defender. He was the victor. He's the one who delivered armies to them because his presence was there. Think of the story of Gideon. Think of the story of, of Jonathan and his armor bearer where Jonathan, uh, he, he, he feels this courage to go up to where the Philistines are at. And he says, if the Philistines call us up to their camp, then we know that the Lord has delivered them into our hands. David, excuse me, Jonathan was with the presence of God. The presence of God went with him wherever he went. Psalms 91 verses 9 through 10 says, If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. This is the same psalm that says, A thousand may fall at my side, ten thousand at my right hand, but it will not come near me. When God is your defense, he provides inner peace. Do you need peace today? Do you need a defender? So much of our peace is stolen from us when we attempt to be our own protector or we attempt to be our own avenger or the one who seeks revenge when somebody wrongs us, we feel like it's our job to pay back what was done to us. We have to avenge the wrong that was done to us and we become our own protector, our own defender, our own avenger and we want to seek revenge or or seek vengeance for the wrong that is done to us and God is saying, lay that down. You are not the judge, you are not the jury. You do not have to seek revenge and be vengeful. You don't have to hold a fence. Allow me to be your defender. Allow me to be your protector, and I will make sure that justice is served, that people are repaid for whatever they've done. Deuteronomy 32, 35, the Lord says this, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. In due time, their foot will slip, their day of disaster is near, and their doom rushes upon them. This isn't, you know, obviously we're not supposed to have the attitude of, yes, God, you're going to get them one day. You're going to pay them back for what, no. But instead, we can live with a peace, knowing that I don't have to protect myself. I don't have to avenge myself. God is going to do that for me. I can live with the peace of God. Let me leave you, church, with this question. We're going to worship in just a moment, but let me leave you with this question. Does your soul thirst for the presence of God? Does your soul thirst to be with God every day? You know I would say for me, my seasons they ebb and flow there 's times where I feel like I, I have these rich relationships I have this rich relationship with the Lord, and when I read the bible it 's just like he 's coming off the pages right and there 's other seasons where it 's difficult, and I find myself opening up scripture and I just i don 't know what it means for my life i don 't know what he 's saying and i 'm confused and and I just feel like giving up and what's the point of this? But when you're consistent and when you set a time every day to be in the presence of God, I believe that he begins to create in you a, a desire or a dependence on being in his presence. I think God wants to, to make you dependent upon his presence. That's the one healthy form of dependence. When you're dependent on the Lord, that's a good thing. Dependent upon his presence. Here's just three quick practical things. If 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 your soul thirsts for God, if you want your soul to thirst for, for the presence of God, practice the art of biblical meditation. This isn't clearing your mind and, home, you know, crisscross applesauce in your room or whatever. But the art of, of biblical meditation is to open up scripture and to just and to just go over the pages of scripture slowly and allow the word of God to fill your mind. Practice the art of biblical meditation by reading the word of God slowly and allow it to fill your heart, even if it's just one verse a day. If it's just one verse a day, just memorize that verse. Allow that word to saturate your heart. The second thing is sing praises with your lips and lift your hands. When you give God praise and when you bless him and when you show him that you are committed to blessing the heart of God because he is your creator and the creation wants to give thanks to their creator, he blesses your future. He, he, allows, he allows you to delight in him and he delights in you and there's something that happens in your heart when you praise God that takes your eyes off of yourself and your circumstances and the things going on and, and puts all attention on God. And the last thing is, is go to him in times of trouble and in times of victory. And every season, oftentimes our, our, our tendency is when things are going good, we, sometimes we, we just don't think about God as often. Right? We, we think, oh, you know, God's been good to me and if I get around to devotions, if I get around to it, then I'll spend time with God. But, but we're in, when we're in seasons of trouble, what are we doing? We're on our knees, right? God, I need you. I need you to come through for me. Go to God in seasons of trouble and in seasons of victory. In every season, go to God because it displays that there's a a commitment that's beyond what you can receive from God. You love the Lord. You want to be in his presence. God is inviting you, church, to come closer, to come closer, to enter into his presence. And I'm going to ask you to stand, church, and we're going to sing one more song. Let me get my my microphone set back up and get my guitar, but this song, we've sang it before here, and I believe that this song is, is, is particularly perfect for this morning, and it talks about being in the presence of God and how nothing else matters, that this is the only thing that matters.